Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, and uh, I'm here with John Allgood and really excited to have our guest on and Sean Hanrahan, uh, Senior Vice President of Sports Brand Solutions at ESPN. And we're going to dive into Sean's uh, path to how he got to where he is now, along with kind of the area of his business within the industry. Uh, and we'll go from there. So, Sean, welcome to the podcast. I, I got to ask you before we start, um, Disney World or Disneyland? Oh, great question. Um, I'm still probably a world guy. Been to land, but it's a little con- it's a little more condensed and not quite as big as world. So you got a little more to do down in Florida. So I'll go at world. John, do you have any any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I'm kind of I'm gonna go with Sean. I kind of I'll go with that. I've been to both myself. Believe it or not, both time for winter baseball meetings. Ironically, uh, <laughs> and uh, but that just the experience in Florida with the way the hotels were set up and. This space, I, I I'll go with Florida as well. Well, I, I've only been to Disneyland, so I, based on your answers, I guess I'm going to have to go to Disney World. Um, but we'll we'll start with this, Sean, and in uh, your role with ESPN, um, you know, how did you get to to where you are now, and and what was the the potential, you know, zigzags or windy path that uh, you took to get there? Yeah, great question. Uh, actually, this past week, I just celebrated my 20th year at ESPN. Congratulations. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It's been uh, quite a run. I didn't see 20 years when I first started, that's for sure. And in hindsight, it's hard to believe um, how fast it has gone. You know, they had there's that thing, you know, sometimes the days are long, but the years go fast. And I mm. think that's really that's really the case here. And needless to say, you know, from a media landscape perspective, a lot has certainly changed in the last 20 years. You know, when I first started, there were no cell phones and, you know, internet was just be really beginning to develop. ESPN.com was started in 1997, was just starting to get its sea legs in 2000. So um, and now here you are, you know, 20 years later and more social platforms than you can shake a stick at. Mobile phones are prevalent. It's like holding a small computer in your hand. Everybody spends more screen time probably than active time that they should. And um, yeah, it's, it's changed vastly prior to Getting to ESPN, um, I just worked in a variety of advertising agencies and um, built my account management skills there along with some creative capabilities and, uh, you know, worked on some major accounts like Pizza Hut and Hershey and uh, moved from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh and back to Philadelphia. And um, then from there, eventually uh, made my way to ESPN I had a guy who used to work for me, got hired at ABC in a similar job. And he called me one day and he said, hey, there's this job open at ESPN you might be interested in. And uh, so I went to interview. And at that moment in 2000, they were bringing together the sales organizations for ABC Sports and ESPN. It was the first time network and cable television was going to be sold together. And the gentleman who was hired to run the organization recognized that there was a lack of marketing skill and creativity in uh, the sales department and advertisers and sponsors were asking more value for their media dollar and wanted to develop customized programs and marketing programs that could help drive their business. So that's the group that I came in to start 20 years ago and have built on that over the years. And like I said, hard to believe it's 20 years later. How did Sean, how did you uh, uh, find yourself in the executive master's program? I'm the academic director of the executive master sports business at Temple. Uh, Sean and I have been working together uh, as academic director for, you know, going on a year and a half now, almost two years. What was your interest level uh, in joining the uh, executive master's in sport business at Temple? 
Yeah, I was um, I had a good friend who had a, a connection to the president of Temple and was talking to him about the program. And uh, he came back to me and told me about it. And, you know, even though you're 20 years in the business and, you know, a man of my advanced age, we won't say how old I am, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the thought of going back to school was a, a little scary. But I also thought it's a great way to continue to learn uh, and evolve my capabilities and refine them. I'm not looking to retire anytime soon. And it's a very competitive landscape these days. And I think, you know, a master's degree can be a differentiator, not just even looking for a new job, but a differentiator within a company um, and allow you to continue to grow. And so, you know, based on what I saw when I heard about the program and my time in it so far has been time well spent. Um, I think some of the discipline that, uh, that used to have in school has been brought back again. Um, the critical thinking skills, um, you know, you're stretching those again. So, yeah, it's been a great experience. And I think it'll be valuable to me going forward. And, you know, ultimately, it might even be great to teach someday, which I think this will provide me the opportunity to do. Sean, when you think about the, the media landscape and, and ultimately navigating uh, such a large conglomerate as ESPN is as, far, as a part of Disney, um, you know, what are some things that people can take away from a, a political perspective and organizational hierarchy and, and really navigating an organization in terms of moving up, you know, gaining different opportunities and, and not just, you know, moving from one place to the next to the next, but this is truly staying at one place and, you know, gaining different opportunities as you move along. Yeah. Um, great question. And, you know, I think, and even to your point about, it's not always about going to get the job somewhere else, but how do you, can you continue to grow in the company? I mean, I, it, this may sound trite, but I think at the very heart of it all is you have to be good people. Mm. Um, <laughs> I mean, treat others with respect, be a team player, um, be willing to listen, um, be a problem solver. Don't be a problem maker. And if you've got a problem, make sure you come with a solution. Um, you know, you get frustrated sometimes when people come into your office and they you know, tell you what the big problem is. And you say, well, have you got any ideas on how we can solve for it? And they go, no, that's why I came to you. And then uh, my job is to help you refine the solution, but you ought to have some solutions when you walk in my office. Um, so I think people would do that. And then, you know, you need to be optimistic. Uh, and especially to, in this day and age right now and what we're in with the pandemic, you know, a lot, of, a lot of my job is making sure my team is prepped and enthusiastic and still optimistic about doing their jobs because it has changed so fundamentally over the last 10 weeks with people working from home and meeting via zoom and um, keeping people motivated and having them understand that their uh, contributions are still valued. And we still need you to, you know, keep up the good work it has become a challenge for a leader, but um, that's, that's part of what my job is. I, there's these, there's a great serving uh, saying about being a servant leader. Yeah. And that, that means making your team better and giving them all the tools and resources they need and then getting out of the way to some degree. So I think over the years, I've tried to develop myself into a servant leader, recognize the talents that people have, help them where they need the help. But, um, you know, don't be the micromanager. If you don't empower people, they don't have a chance to grow. They're not willing to take risks. And especially in this business, um, you have to take risks to grow the business and drive the business forward. So I encourage that in my team. Everybody always talks to you about it's okay to fail. And that's true. And then when people do fail, you have to be willing to accept it. Mm. And, and sometimes that's a hard thing to do. So you can't encourage people to take risks, say it's okay to fail. And then when they do, penalize them for that. 
because that's that, that's demoralizing. And by the way, we'll be seen by other people in the group, and they're not then going to be willing to you know push the envelope a little bit and take risks. So, uh, I mean, you can't talk out of both sides of your mouth on that one. Sean, when when you went through the program, you're going through the program. Uh, you know, you picked up some uh, extra contacts, right? Your network grew because within the group. Can you speak a little bit about the value of that and then the value of networking uh, even even now when we're doing it through whatever platform, Zoom or WebEx? So, so it's a two-part question. One is, how did the program help you uh, from a networking standpoint and, and being part of a cohort? And the second part is, how do you continue to network while we're kind of landlocked? Um, great questions. I mean, from, a, from the program standpoint, it's been great on a couple of different levels. For instance, I just had a conversation, might not have been yesterday, the day before with Jeff Webb, who's in my cohort, and he's got a similar job as mine with the sports network in Canada. And so we, he called me to talk about the business and what we're seeing and how we're managing it. And we shared some insights about, you know, working with advertisers, how we're pricing things. And I think that's, it's been great to have, you know, a totally different perspective out of the country. He gives you some things to think about differently. And I hopefully I did the same for him. So that's a great example. And then because I tend to be a little older than most of the folks in the cohort, um, there have been some guys that have turned to me for help. And there's uh, Alfonso is another young guy who's um, actually an on-air talent in Mexico. And I was able to make a connection for him with our talent group here. And I think he's getting an interview at ESPN Mexico. So, mm. and it's nice, nice to be able to do things like that and, you know, pay it forward as they say. So it's worked on a couple different levels and I've really enjoyed it. What do you see as, as the biggest, um, not only positive and, and, or, you know, benefit from, from education at this point in your career, but also uh, are you learning something different about learning? Uh, I'm learning. I'm not a big fan of stats. Is that helpful? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got through it. You got through it. I got through. I, I, I did get through it, but boy, yeah, that one was because um, I'm the, I'm the more the idea creative guy and to go back to the world of math and then take stats. But, uh, and you know, I laugh about it, but actually, um, it was a great motivational tool to, uh, stretch yourself in a different area and, you know, prove to yourself that you could still get it done. And, um, it was so so that even that experience, while you know it was tough and hard, and I laugh about it, it was still a great experience. I think I set a great example of actually for uh, I have two kids in college, and for them to see their dad in this master's program hunkering down, you know, on Sunday afternoons, you know, and working through his homework and um, getting together, um, you know, final projects, et cetera. I think uh, it helps them to see that, yeah, even, even good old dad is able to apply himself and get the work done and, you know, set an example for them going forward. Um, so John, I think I've gone off a little bit of a tangent there. Remind me of the back half of your question was learning that, about learning. Yeah. Learning about learning. Um, that's a, that, that, um, I've, I've learned that, um, even you can still learn that I've learned. So that's, that's a good thing. You know, um, do not know everything by any stretch of the imagination. Of course, my, my wife's been telling me that for 32 years. So that's not, (laughs) (laughs) um, but, um, yeah, I think the, the, what's really been interesting is, is the, and actually it's helped me in my current role since we're now quarantined is the whole idea of learning online. Mm. And that was something new because, you know, uh, traditionally I'd only been in, in classroom learning. So, um, 
having that experience has been unique and requires you to be more focused and more disciplined because you have work to do during the week. And, you know, the classroom sort of culminates everything that you should have learned at that point and refines it. And so making sure that you're keeping pace and learning on your own and then be disciplined enough within the, you know, online setting to pay attention, ask questions, be engaged has been a whole new experience. So I want to, I want to take that a little step further. So um, what's really interesting to me being a professor at Temple University sport management program, sport business program is, is the student, you know, we went from, I'm sure everyone knows if you're in college, you went through this. So you went from being on the ground to being online for the last, let's say month and a half. And as I, uh, Sean, I, I kind of follow your example of being a servant leader as a professor as well. And so I try to talk to them beyond just being in the classroom to figure out what can I do to serve you or mentor you. And I had several students say, well, I'm going to be really bored this summer. And I was like, well, you, you don't have to be bored. I mean, you can learn another language. You can increase your skill set. You can, you know, become better. Sean, I, I just want to push you a little bit further on that. What what advice would you give to, let's say, a junior or a senior or someone that just graduated that doesn't have an internship or doesn't have a position just because of things being, you know, we don't have live sports really. What advice would you give them to keep themselves prepared when the time comes that live sports returns? Yeah. Uh, I mean, great question. Well, listen, within the sports industry, there are certainly uh, plenty of um, trade communications that they can stay in touch with everything, you know, from sports business journal to synopsis to um, which give you daily updates on the sports industry and actually are pretty good about, um, if you're, you know, if you're a graduate, are pretty good about posting available jobs within the industry as well. So all those, all those um, publications can help you keep your hand on the pulse of sort of what's going on in the industry. And then, um, you know, George Bodenheimer, uh, who used to be the president of ESPN before uh, John Skipper, and now we have Jimmy Pitaro, um, was a voracious reader, and mm. he would he would tell you to read, read, read. It doesn't have to be reading about you know the industry or the business, but you know, whether it's historical novels or uh, business, um, you know, self-help books, whatever it is, he would tell you reading is one of the best things you can do because um, it continues to expand your mind, gives you different perspectives and different opinions um, and allows you to, you know, acquire knowledge that you may not have had. So I would suggest to anyone who's home over the summer, um, you know, I, I, I would be reading, reading, reading because, uh, and I think quite frankly, um, or, you know, for that matter, I mean, you can listen to podcasts, too. It's another great way to learn. But, yeah. you know, um, consumption, I think, is um, really important. I feel like I'm going to be in a, in, a, in a poker table soon because I'm going to say, John, I'm going to see you on that one. I'm going to, I'm going to raise you. I'm going to go even <laughs> deeper with this question. Um, and that's about all I got for my humor. But, Sean, you know, in, in terms of um, let's just say you weren't in school, right? And you weren't in the situation that John was just explaining where you don't have a job, but you are someone that's in the industry right now that is currently going through, you know, the just different changes in the industry, but you do have that extra time to really actually sit back, reflect, focus on the professional development side of things. Uh, as you think about, you know, prior to, to going back to school for yourself, what are some of the things that you did to, you know, continuously, whether it was a, a weekly thing, a monthly thing, an annual thing uh, for you to work on your professional development. What are some of those things that you did that you think others could do during this time as well? And, and not just during this time, but also in the future. Um, great question. I mean, 
just based on where I am in my career, but what, what I have uh, done within my own team is have some of the junior folks actually mentor me. Mm. And so I would meet with them That's probably once or twice a week. And I would have them tell me everything they know about social media. Show me how, <laughs> show me how they use it, what platforms they use, what they like, what they don't like, because it's really important for ESPN. And we have presence on those platforms, but then how do we present ourselves and particularly from an advertiser and sponsorship perspective. So that was very helpful because, and, you know, and I don't think I could sit here and still do Snapchat, but I made sure they take me through it. And <laughs> I understand, I understand how it operates and what, and how they're using it. So, you know, reverse mentoring, I think is a, is a great way um, to continue to learn. Um, I'd even do things like I called it the culture council and I'd gather groups of people together and just talk about um, the culture and atmosphere at work and what's working and what's not working and get feedback. Because again, going back to that servant leadership, my job is to continue to make things better, but I can't do it in isolation. I need mm-hmm. to get feedback and understand. So uh, try to do as uh, much listening as possible. I think that's, uh, that's really important. Um, and then beyond, I mean, beyond that, um, we've talked a little bit about networking here. I mean, there are certainly plenty of um, let's call them seminars, gatherings that happen within the sports industry, which also provide great opportunities. I mean, SBJ does the world uh, Congress of sports mm-hmm. every year, which is probably the biggest one. So attending those um, uh, can be very helpful. Uh, you, I was, I've been surprised, not maybe not surprised because I think it's smart on their part, but um, like Ad Age and Business Insider have been doing a tremendous amount of um, webinars with CMOs. And it's really mm. interesting to listen to those. And the truth of the matter is they all have a lot of the same problems. They're all trying to balance like, what do we say about our brands at this time? Should we be even on the air talking about our brands, um, you know, and managing uh, the quarantine and expectations that uh, people have? I mean, the interesting thing is, that's just a side note, but Research will show it's brands that actually go out and spend marketing and advertising dollars during a period like this, build long-term value, and it's better in the long run for them to do that than mm. to just go just go dark. But you know, in times like these, when business is cratering, it's hard to walk into your CFO and go, "Hey, here's a big idea. I need to spend more money." And you know, they're going to look at you sideways. But if you can figure out how to still have a presence, um, it's going to pay off in the long run for you. Sean, on the, I'm going to change a little bit. I'm going to pivot a little bit here. So. I thought you were going to raise. I, gonna raise. <laughs> I, I think we. I think we might have break. Well, I'm out of chips. I can't put anything in. <laughs> I was going to say I, I have no other chips to raise right now, Jake. So, um, Sean, it, I, I, what I'm really curious about is, and we've we've had done a few of these podcasts, and this is more from a practical standpoint. You and I talked about this on a webinar the other day, but I want I want you to go a little bit deeper on it. What do you do with your clients now? How do you stay connected with your clients? Uh, and you know, I know you, you are starting to get more live live sports on but um in in this this gap that we've had what what has been the strategy of of you know engaging with with your clients yeah well we are getting more live sports especially if you want to uh you know count the american cornhole championship then you know, yes of course we some, do yes you, and, <laughs> and, and, and it's compelling tv by the way so you're not going to want to miss it yeah. um it's it, it's it, on the client piece of it um it's interesting because we have um you know, arguably the biggest sport that we're known for is probably college football. Right. And so there's a lot of trepidation right now about is the season going to happen or is it going to start on time? Or if it does start on time, are there fans in the stands and what implications does that have? So for all of our major sponsors, we've actually been holding sessions. Uh, we did them last week or doing this week. We got more next week. Um, 
bringing them on a Zoom call, putting them on with our programming and production people, us giving the current landscape as we understand it, um, production talking about things that they have learned are going to apply um, for the season going forward. Like we just came off the NFL draft, which, you know, was a virtual draft and going into it, everybody's like, well, how good is it going to be and what's it going to be like? And the production folks will tell you that it was a tremendous learning experience because you're not in Nashville like we were last year with these big crowds and the energy to tap into. So now though, what happens is you get more access and you get a sneak peek into people's homes and you got Bill Belichick's dog making picks. And so it all became just a different kind of experience and people get comfortable with raw video. Not everything has to be so highly produced. Mm. So if you listen to production guys, as they go into the college football season, you know, they're going to say, okay, there's no fans in the stand. So what does that mean for me? Well, that probably means different camera angles I couldn't get before when the fans were there. Probably means I get sounds of the game that I'm never going to be able to provide before. I might be able to fly drones over the stadium because the fans aren't in the stands. I don't have to worry about it crashing. So we're giving all this kind of information to um, the sponsors so they can be informed about what to expect. And it's been great because they really appreciate, you know, not knowing anything is the toughest thing, right? You know, you always want to, uh, you always want to know something. And so while we may not have all the answers yet, because it's still unfolding, you know, I was talking to um, Greg Sankey, he's the commissioner of the SEC just last week. And, you know, he will tell you, he knows m- much more now than he did 30 days ago. And he's going to know that much more 30 days from now when he has to make a decision. Right. So there's no, no need to be making any decisions now. So we're just trying to impart and share and be as transparent as possible. Uh, flexibility is another key, key thing for clients right now. You know, they might want to move their media dollars around and can we help them with that uh, willingness to, you know, be patient and present them new ideas that may not have thought of before. But yeah, it's a lot of, it's a lot of handholding and personal attention because everybody's got some anxiety and trepidation about what's going on. Sean, when you think about the word opportunity, uh, it is, you know, especially in a time like this where you've got, uh, I think I saw the other day was juggling dodgeball. The guy oh, was yeah, in the I back of the, Yeah, the guy was like in the back of the court juggling bowling pins and then there was a dodgeball game going on at the same time. And I'm like, holy cow, ESPN 8, the Ocho, yeah. this <laughs> is dodgeball, which was like one of my favorite movies growing up. And you know, when you sit back and think and you're like, okay, is this something just to fill the time or is there true opportunity in content like this? And I'm not necessarily just saying, you know, juggling dodgeball, but um, you know, is there opportunity that is going to unfold just because of the situation that we can then take advantage of uh, and, and actually run with, you know, certain ideas in the future and, and not just be stuck to what we did before. Uh, I think the short answer to that question is yes. I mean, what you just described there with the Ocho, you know, typically we did it once a year on August 8th, you know, and made ESPN, um, ESPN Ocho and to your point, famous from the dodgeball movie. Um, But our job is to serve sports fans anytime, anywhere. And so when you don't have live sports, you have to think of other ways you can serve them. So yes, ridiculous things like, you know, juggling dodgeball uh, comes to mind. I think that came on right after the, national cherry pit spitting contest. Yeah. I, don't know if, I don't know if you saw that one either, but you know, it's as ridiculous as those things are. I was sitting there watching it with my son. And then I got my daughter-in-law to watch. She's like, what are you watching? And before I know it, she had been sitting there for 15 minutes and she was rooting for this guy named pistol Pete to like try to win the contest. <laughs> so you, you can become vested very quickly because there's this un, um, there's this unpent demand. I mean, they want, 
people want sports. Um, as I think I mentioned to John in the webinar he referenced uh, a minute ago, when I was leading a consumer marketing group at ESPN, we had done a brand campaign called Life Needs Sports. And I don't think that is any truer than it is now. You know, it's an escape for people. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a normal part of life. They look forward to it. It's uh, social. It's a uh, fandom that gets passed down from, you know, father to son and mother to daughter and father to daughter. And so um, people are anxious for almost anything. That's why when we did the NFL draft, and followed that on Sunday with um, the last dance, which I'm sure you guys have seen at least part of yeah. 71 million people tuned in ESPN over the course of the weekend. That's a third of the population. Wow. And that's, that's it's insane. an insane yeah, outside of the Super Bowl, You don't see numbers like that. And um, that just yeah. tells you that people are starved for sport. So um, it'll be interesting to see when it comes back, you know, without fans in the stands, we were getting questions today. So what do you think that means for ratings? And quite frankly, I think that means ratings go up. Go up, yeah. Right? Because yeah. you have the 100 th- Can you have an overconsumption, though? Can you have an overconsumption at some point? Yeah, um, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. And, you know, you're going to find out to some degree because the quarter, quarter at the end of the year here could really be something. Because yep. not only have you, you got the NFL and college football, um, you're going to have the NBA leaking into September probably. You're going to yep. have MLB going longer than usual. I'm interested to see what Fox is going to do comes – I guess it's October when they have the U.S. Open. And so they're going to have the last, you know, the final round of the U.S. Open on a Sunday and they have the NFL. What are they doing? Right. Yeah. And they're not like, unfortunately, they're not as equipped as us to like move things around. And, uh, you know, the NFL is not going to say, okay, put my game on FS1. That's not going to work. <laughs> and the U.S. Open is going to say, we're not going on U.S. or FS1. So yeah. I think uh, there'll be some interesting weekends where it's going to be, if you're a sports fan, it's heaven. Yeah, I think so, too. And we talk about it in our classes. We were talking about trying to project. And so I want, I want to go back. It's been kind of a common theme about innovation and learning. So, Sean, the average – I should tell you this, Jake. So the average experience in the executive master's program is about 11 years. So we have people on Sean's uh, range that's a little bit older, and we have younger. So, Sean, I want to ask you, what advice would you give to someone that's in the, in the uh, industry that is thinking about getting a master's degree – uh, and what, I mean, what, what advice would you give them as far as you can be successful doing this if you go apply yourself? Uh, you mean be successful in the master's program or be successful in your career beyond the master's program? Both. So like if someone has trepidation about going to do a master's program because they haven't been in a classroom in a long time, whether yep. it's online or on the ground, and then what can they use it to advance their career afterwards? Yeah. Well, I mean, going into it, I think you've got to, you've got to tell yourself to believe in yourself. Right. I mean, I had a little trepidation going into it, especially since I'd been out of school longer, as you mentioned, than most of the other folks in the cohort. And it's, and it's like, do you have, you know, and when you've got a full-time job and you're trying to find another, you know, 10 to 15 hours a week to do classroom work and homework and projects, et cetera. uh, You know, sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming. So what it does force you to do is become disciplined. Right. Because if you let it all back up, that's when you get in trouble. So time management becomes critical and it sort of, and it forces you to uh, have some self-discipline in order to get both what you're doing in your daily job, plus the classroom work you need to do. But if you do it the right way, I mean, there's a lot of satisfaction in being able to make, to accomplish that. Um, as I mentioned before, setting the example for my kids who are in college, I think they've seen that and been in, 
uh, impressed by the fact that, you know, dad's balancing full-time job with still mm-hmm. going to school. And um, I think there's a lot of value in showing them that. And the same would go for, you know, the folks in the rest of the class. If you believe in yourself and you've got the self-discipline, then it, you know, it'll, it'll come. Don't get me wrong though. There are moments where you get a little overwhelmed. I'll go back to my stats class. Um, I used to come out of my office on Sundays and I would look at my wife and go, I really have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> and then I go back in, you know, sit with it some more and eventually it would come. But, uh, you know, but, you know, yeah, yeah, you have to make the commitment. I mean, you have to, and you have to see the, you have to play a bit of the, uh, long ball here and see what's to come down the road after you're applying yourself in the short term. Sean, when you, when you think about uh, if you put, if you take your student hat off and you put your hiring hat on, right. And you put your leadership hat on what, for, for those that you've, you know, I love the, the reverse mentoring piece. Uh, I, I think that's fascinating. Um, and I, that's actually the first time I've ever heard that term. And when you think about someone who maybe is, younger in their career, but they already have their master's. Yep. Maybe they got it, you know, someone like myself where I went just straight from undergrad right to grad school and then into the industry, uh, but maybe had some internships in between and whatnot. Is there something that you have learned from them uh, in the reverse mentoring role where, you know, they've already been through that, that piece from a school perspective, but maybe don't obviously have as much experience and then vice versa? Yeah, I think I can see it. In the, and I've got a lot of smart uh, bright people in my group and have graduated from some great schools where it's Michigan or Harvard or, you know, what, whatever, and some with masters. And, you know, I, I, the, the one thing I look for, for those guys that will separate themselves from other folks is the ability to problem solve, um, mm. and think strategically. Those are probably the two most critical things that will elevate you. And I don't think that's just within the sports industry or ESPN. I think that's going to be, uh, any job, you know, they used to have that saying about Wayne Gretzky, right? He would, he skated to where the puck was going to be, right? That's your, that's Mm -hmm. your job here is to figure out where we're going to be and how do we get there in an expedient, smart, efficient, profitable, if you will, fashion. Um, Yeah. So those, and the folks that can do that um, are the ones that, you know, move along a faster career path. And I think, you know, the master's program helps you get there faster. It gives you the, you know, the critical thinking skills, problem solving skills, um, the ability to think strategically, to break down a problem, and you, you can see a difference. Sean, as we, as we wrap up the episode, I, and, and great advice, great insights, and uh, I got to keep it light a little bit. Uh, I asked you about Disney at the beginning, but favorite ESPN this is Sports Center episode. Oh, that's because um, uh, you could sit in front of the computer on YouTube and watch those just on repeat. Yeah, there's 440 something of them now, um, and there's only been one guy who turned us down. Hmm. Want to guess who it is? Wow. I'm thinking. Yeah. MJ. Wow. Wow. That was a shot in the dark. Uh, this is sports center commercial. The last dance yep. thing. I don't know. He's the only guy. If we did, we had Tiger Woods do it. And you know, anybody that we asked, we didn't ask everybody big guy. Cause he's, 
want to have the right personality and the right idea. But when we asked him, yeah, he said no. Um, but favorite one, um, it's funny because he's a pariah now, but his one goes back when Dan Patrick was on. Uh, if you remember, he was sitting up in his office and the lights started to dim. And he gets up, and he has this look on his face, and he goes, oh, God. Hmm. And you see him, he walks down the stairs, he goes out of the basement, and he opens up the uh, he opens up this door, and Lance Armstrong's on a bicycle. He's like, Lance, do you need an energy bar or something? And he starts pedaling cool. faster, and the lights come back. Oh, yeah. Got that. <laughs> That's, John, do you have one? I yeah. Mean, you've had to. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They were they were gold when you know, I was in college when a lot of those came out. Was I'm trying to remember the, the scene, but wasn't there one was like Armageddon in the office and all oh, yeah, Charlie Steiner was crazy. Uh, and then, he, uh, he was, yeah, he had the tire yeah. uh, around his head. Yeah, yeah. Kept around his head. His, I forget yeah. his line. Yeah, but that was a, yeah. There was a, yeah, there's yeah, no, there been some great yeah, ones. Uh, yeah, Wyden, the guy from Wyden and Kennedy. Uh, Wyden and Kennedy had that assignment for years until we actually took it in house. But um, yeah, 1992, I think, was the first one. Yeah, I, I always That's go a good back one. to the yep. Peyton and Eli one. I mean, like, that's oh, yeah. Brothers. me and my brother to a T, you know. I, I think it's fantastic. Um, but, Sean, really appreciate your, your insight and advice and, and uh, some stories along the way. Uh, thank you for, for taking the time.